0: Amen. Well, hey, listen, for the sake of time, I'm just going to dive right in. So hopefully all of our first time guests don't think I'm super impersonal, um, but we are on a little bit of a time limit today. Welcome. My name's Jay Duncan. For all of you guys who are joining us today for the first time. And it's my joy to serve this house, lead this house, and it's my joy to preach the word to you today. So let's pray and let's uh, let's hit the ground running. Father, we bless you today. We love you. We honor you. And we're just so excited for all the things that you are doing in our hearts and our lives and the things that you're doing through us, the things that you're doing in our realm of influence and our families, neighborhoods, schools, businesses. Father, we um, are thrilled to participate with you and to partner with you in the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, even today, just today, spoke with a, a man who is feeling your heart and your passion for the region of Europe and the nation of Germany in particular. Lord, talked with a young couple who feel called to bring Jesus to the nation of Nepal. Lord, those uh, who are participating with this citywide gathering, Lord, there's so many things that you're doing, and we are on this grand adventure with you, and it's exciting. Sometimes it's a little scary, but we are so privileged to be a part of this with you. Today, I want to bless your church here in our city We pray for all the church gatherings, all the locations and services that are happening all across Colorado Springs. And Father, we pray that you would kiss those times together where the people of God are gathering to glorify you, to learn of you, to draw near to you into fellowship and the communion of the saints. Father, we pray for the activity and the manifestation of your spirit to be strong in the churches of Colorado Springs. Let people hear the gospel with fresh ears today. Let people be brought out of darkness into life today in Jesus' name, amen. Come on, shout amen, guys. Awesome. All right. Well, we have been three weeks into a series on the transforming power of God's word. Today is the fourth installment of that. I'm going to read a couple of lines from the book that we're walking through together, and uh, then we're going to veer off that path. We're going to open up the scriptures, and um, there's this. This what I'm going to share today is coming straight out of Life Group community uh, on Thursday night. Got together with our second round of Life Group leaders, and some of the things that God was pulling apart and unpacking for us. I realized that I don't want to go through this too fast. You know, sometimes in the process of discipleship, many times we have to unlearn some things before we can learn things the right way. Sometimes we have to unlearn some things. And that can actually be a little difficult to stop and say, I've, I've, I've gone too far on a path without Jesus. I've gone too far on a road and actually what I have to do now is I can't just make my way back over to the path that he's on from where I'm at, I actually have to turn around and back up and go backwards for a little bit and find that intersection where I veered and then pick up the path and begin moving with him again. This morning in pre-service prayer, someone used a phenomenal analogy about writing in this A wonderful lady said, you know, in writing, I've been writing this book and I realized that I've been writing all these paragraphs and pages and chapters and what I was writing was veering off the course and I couldn't just go back and get back onto the path. I actually had to backtrack and find that original thought and marry myself back to that original thought, which means that you've got to maybe erase some things and cut some things out and that's the same thing that happens in discipleship. It's the same thing that happens in cooking. It's the same thing that happens when you learn a technique, golf, or musical instruments, and you realize that what you've been doing may have been producing some results, but it's not sustainable. And you realize that you, you learned poor form. And even though you might be able to hit the ball you know, in the fairway once out of every 10 times, you'd like to hit it 10 out of 10 times, which means you've got to go back and correct some bad technique. And that's the same thing as it relates to life with God. And so that's something that's happening with me right now. I'm right in the middle of that yoke. And so I invite you for those of you that this is applicable to. I invite you to jump into that yoke of relearning, unlearning and relearning things of the kingdom with me. So this is on uh, page location 147 out of 3008 on my Kindle and uh, you guys can follow along if you want. Uh, This is actually in the first chapter and I made reference to this particular paragraph a few weeks ago But I'm going to go back and read this again because the Lord is just showing me some gems there that I overlooked the first time. So essentially, the purpose of the book, Life with God, Reading the Bible for Spiritual Transformation, it's recalibrating the way that we approach the scriptures. And his fundamental thesis very simply is that the Bible is not only the written word of God, the Bible is the inspired word of God that is been given to humanity to draw us into true life. And the only way that we find true life is when we find the heart of God. So, although we have God's words at our disposal, we see such little transformation unto Christ's likeness, according to Foster. And he says, I think that's a problem. And he says, I feel like there are two things that contribute to that problem. And those two things are the two most common reasons I see why people read the word. Number one, we read the word only for information. We just read it for information. Literary, historical, religious, spiritual information alone does not bring us to transformation unto Christ-likeness. But I want to camp out here a little bit because he says the second most common objective that people have for studying the Bible is to find a formula that will solve the pressing need of the moment to find a formula that will solve the most pressing need of the moment. And when I brought this particular chapter or this particular uh, paragraph up to our life group leaders, there was one particular leader that says, "You know, that was the way that I was taught. When I first became a Christian 10 years ago, I was taught, "Hey man, there's there's the an- the Bible has answers to your questions and solutions to your problems and you can take it and you can use it and it'll work." And he said, "And it did." I was going through financial hardship, I got in there, I found promises, I found, I found you know, solutions and I began speaking those things and using those things and it worked and I said yes, it will work, principles work. God inspired principles infused with the wisdom of God, they will work but the point of the scriptures is not just that they work for what we want them to work for us, that's not the point. And I, I wrote this down and you can take this down off your notes if you want. Um, a kind of a big idea of what I want to communicate is: focusing on our most pressing need can keep us from seeing our deepest need. Focusing on our most pressing need, on our most prominent need, on the need that is drawing and gaining the most attention in our lives, can potentially keep us from seeing, recognizing, acknowledging the deepest need in our lives. And I'm gonna show you some scriptures here in a minute that will point to that. Let me read a little bit further. Thus, we seek out lists of specific passages that speak to particular needs rather than seeking whole life discipleship to Jesus. And that is the goal. That's the point. The reason why we come to God's words, the reason why we come to the expression of his heart is so that we can enter into whole life discipleship with Jesus Now, for those of you who don't know some of my background, Oral Roberts graduate, uh, twice over eight years at Oral Roberts University, every faith preacher on the planet came in there, Creflo Dollar, Jesse Duplantis, Jerry Seville, Kenneth Hagan Jr., I mean, on and on it goes. And that was my diet. And there are great components of the word of faith river that I still hold on to, but there are some things here that are God is recalibrating. He's recalibrating, and what he's recalibrating is the word is not just my tool to get what I want. Now watch this, watch this, because if we approach the words of Jesus as leading us into whole life discipleship, what we must reconcile, what we must reconcile in our hearts is that we may not know what our most pressing need is. See, when I approach the word as a, as a formula and I just go and I dive in, I pull up the things at work. Again, the Bible isn't, listen, the Bible is not just a resource. It is a path to a relationship. And what I do is I approach this arrogantly when I assume that I know what my most pressing need is. Because I don't. I don't. Let's just read a little bit further here. To be sure, these needs are important. Now, what I want you to understand is that if you need physical healing, that is a very real, legitimate, valid thing, and no one is trying to discount that today. And if you're wrestling through the pain and the struggle of financial hardship, I am not trying to invalidate that for a minute. But what I do wanna do this morning is submit that even in the midst of those very real things, what we need more than physical healing and what we need more than a breakthrough financially, and what we need more than just the answer that will give us the direction for the career move, what we need is we need union with the heart and the mind of God. That's what we need. The finances will fade away, the physical body will deteriorate again, and at some point, I will find myself at a juncture where I need an answer for a decision again. So what is primary and what is most important is that in these opportunities, those hardships become opportunities, not for us to find answers. Those hardships become opportunities for us to draw deeper into the heart and the life of God. They can evolve anything from needs for comfort, forgiveness, physical healing, so on and so forth. But watch this. This is an interesting concept. In the end, they always have to do with being good. Now, let me propose this to you. If we approach the scriptures, if I understand this correctly, if we approach the scriptures, the living words of God, only to get what we need or want, it sets us up for a lose-lose situation. And here's why. Because if I press in and fast and pray and prophesy and repeat and memorize, meditate, declare and do all of those things that I know to do and I don't get the answer, what if you don't get the answer? Then you don't have enough faith or you didn't do enough or instead of reading 100 chapters, you should have read 200 or spending an hour a day, you should have spent two hours and I always end up not being good enough. So what it does is it sets up an economy with God that says, if you don't do what I expect you to do through the medium that I expect you to do it from, you gave me your words, now I'm going to use your words to get what I want as I determine what is best, and if I don't get it, then something's wrong with me or something's wrong with you. It's a lose-lose situation. On the flip side, if I do it, if I milk it, if I work it, then I win. I win, I was good enough, I made it happen. And what happens, brothers and sisters, what happens when we are confronted with the wisdom and the sovereignty of God that supersedes our understanding of when and how and why and what contained in this? What happens when we confront moments when we did everything that we knew to do and yet we didn't get what we expected to get now here's a big question can we can we enter into whole life discipleship with jesus and not get what we expect to get can we do that is that possible to happen now we're back to the question what if your most pressing need as you define your most pressing need is not your deepest need all right, let's go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. As you're turning there, I'll read this next paragraph. What we must face up to about these two common objectives for studying the Bible is that they always leave us or someone else in charge. They are in fact ways of trying to control what comes out of the Bible. Rather than entering the process of transformation of our whole person and our whole life into Christ'-likeness, I'm going to read that one more time because it's a powerful statement. Essentially, what he says is, when we take the approach of coming to the word only to solve our most pressing need, only to create the lists and speak the list and declare the list and pray and prophesy the list and authoritatively decree the list. here's what he's saying. It always sets us up as being in control as opposed to entering into the process of transformation unto Christlikeness. Now, Mark chapter two, verse one. And when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now, what was this man's most pressing need? To himself. Cheaters. You're like, we already know. (laughs) What was according to him, according to the community of faith that he was in, now this is real time for all of us, what was his most pressing need? To be healed physically of his paralysis. Well, we'd all agree on that. Now, why in the world did Jesus not immediately heal him? Why did the scripture not say, seeing their faith, he said to the man, rise up, take up your mat. What that's spectacular, glorious Radical moment. Man, Jesus totally missed his window of opportunity there. Yet, <laughs> You know, you almost wonder what was going through the head of those guys who labored to bring this man the stability, the control, don't move everybody all at once, the whole deal, breaking open the roof, lowering them down, just working through this. And what was their hope? Why did they go through all of that? Because in their mind's eye, they saw his most pressing need being solved. Why do we do the 40-day prayer vigils? Why do we do the 21 days of fasting? Why do we rally around and and anoint people with oil and pray for the prayer shawls? And why do we do all that? Because we expect the person to be healed. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of one of those four guys, you're holding this mat, and here you are face-to-face with Jesus himself, and he goes, son, your sins are forgiven. You're like, let me give you a little flash warning here. Let me give you a little news announcement, Jesus. He can't move. Who cares that his sins are forgiven? Right? They were approaching this situation with great faith, but their faith wasn't in what the deepest need was. Their faith was in what they perceived for the most deepest need to be. Now, let me walk you on a journey. Let's assume here for a minute, we're gonna dive into the root structures, but let's assume that Jesus solves the most pressing need, but the deepest need was never addressed. Is it possible that he could return back to that situation? Now, let's elevate ourselves out of the physical. Let's elevate ourselves into life. You ever felt paralyzed? You ever felt stuck? You ever felt stuck in a rut? And, and what we do is typically we like to go to the externals, and we like to assume that the reason why we're stuck emotionally, relationally, financially, spiritually is all of these external reasons when most of the time it's something internal that needs to change. Usually when we're, when we're broke and we're in debt, it's not because we're not getting enough money, right? Right? Usually it's because something in here and something in here is not operating in wholeness and discipline and submission, and it's producing those things. Or sometimes we assume that if we're having trouble in our relationship, we just need to get a new partner, or they need to change, or they need to be more submissive, or he needs to be more assertive, when most of the time, some of the times, it's something that's going on in here that needs to be broken It needs to be healed. It needs to be restored. It needs to be uh, under a greater alignment to God. Come on, are you guys talking with me? You know, here's a great, great example. Sometimes we can assume, again, let's use the financial situation. If we're having trouble financially, sometimes if you get into the fray of someone's life, you may go, you don't have a financial problem. You have a marital problem. The financial problem is just a cover-up. Now, if you get your marriage in order, what you may find is that financial stuff. If you learn how to talk, if you learn how to communicate, if you learn how to get into agreement, if you learn how to not not you know honor boundaries that you set for one another, you're gonna you're gonna protect yourself from making all those foolish decisions. Come on, are you guys with me? Are you with me this morning? So, the most pressing need, the most prominent need externally, is not always the real need. And what we do is we dupe ourselves into thinking that if we just move to that other church, then, oh, that other church, oh, man, if I can just go where it's better, if I can just get into that other relationship, if I can just get over into that other house, listen, when you get to that other house, you still got to water the grass. And the reason why their yard looks so great is because when you didn't see it, they were out there pulling up weeds and they were out there aerating their ground and they were paying the money to water and they were fertilizing it. And you look and go, man, if I just got on that plot of land, then everything would be great. And the same dysfunction that's inside of us that leads to barrenness in our field will produce barrenness in the same field that looks beautiful if it's under different ownership. So Jesus does not heal this man's physical body because I think Jesus knew that if I just heal your body, Two years, four years, five years There is something so deeply set inside of you There are some heart fractures that are inside of you There are some mindsets that are so deep inside of you That I might see you again interrupting my crusade And Jesus is like, I don't, I don't like you interrupting my crusade I've lost my train of thought So I'm going to deal with this right the first time So y'all ain't interrupting me next time I preach the Beatitudes up in here so, Jesus says, now watch what he does. Oh, I gotta move fast. Number one, Jesus calls him a son. Is it possible that more important than physical healing, we need to know that we are truly the deeply, dearly beloved sons and daughters of God? Amen. Is it possible that even more important than your healing of cancer is, listen, please hear my heart, I am not invalidating this for a second, but is it possible that the fiery furnace of that sickness can push us into the voice of a father that validates sonship that we never heard from an earthly father. Is that possible? The first thing Jesus says is, you're a son. And listen, the first thing that we can hear, and blow your mind, you can hear that you're a son in lamentations, In Chronicles, in Genesis, in Psalms, in Habakkuk, in Revelation, he is saying, you're a son. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a deeply, dearly beloved. And that is what he's communicating to the people of God. And that is what Jesus addresses. Now, as I've studied different, there's there's three particular accounts that deal specifically with paralysis in the New Testament, One is in Acts chapter three, one is in John chapter five, and one is here in Mark chapter two. And most of those accounts I see deal with some level, by implication, some level of self-hatred, self-shame, self-condemnation that goes on. And isn't that true that we feel stuck in our lives because there's something that's entered in? We feel like we can't measure up to the righteous law of God. We feel like we'll never be good enough and we get stuck. And how many of you guys are wired this way? If, if you know that you can't meet the challenge, you don't even like to try. You're just like, what's the point? You know what? The law, the death-inducing law of religion is like that. Now, there are people that are walking in our streets. There are people sitting in our churches. There are people that are far from God because they were under such a religious structure and they hate themselves. They, they, they have such deep self hatred for mistakes that they've made in their lives. They've ran from God, ran from family, ran from churches because they could never measure up to the law. And here's what Jesus said Son, stop hating yourself. Listen to words of life. You're a son. Second thing he says to him is, I forgive you. Why did, he, why, why did Jesus have to say, I forgive you? Obviously, there was something in there where he felt such immense guilt and shame and fear. And the inside always affects the outside. And I guarantee you, he, he was walking in that paralyzed state because of self Hatred, follow, follow the breadcrumbs. Why would Jesus say be free if he were not bound? Why would Jesus say you are forgiven if he wasn't walking under such immense guilt and condemnation? Watch this. We still in Mark chapter two. Let's look at the next thing that happens. Here's all these religious guys. Verse six, some were, there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Bingo. About the smartest thing you guys said all day. That's why I did it. Because only God can forgive sins. So look what Jesus, and immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit, that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk, but in order that you may know that the Son has authority. See, there's something that was even deeper that was operating here. Jesus was manifesting his sonship. He was manifesting his Christology. He was manifesting his power and authority in the earth by healing his inner wounds first. Listen to the implication. Jesus which is easier? You know what he was saying? It's harder to cleanse someone's heart than it is to cleanse their external wounds. It is more difficult to heal the fractures of a spirit than it is to heal somebody's paralysis. That's essentially what Jesus was saying. And by virtue of that same language, he was essentially saying, no one can heal the heart but me. Therefore, I say to you, you're forgiven. You're exonerated. You're clean. You're pure. You're free. You have life. You have zoe It is available and I'm giving it to you right now. And it is the very thing that's gonna keep you out of this situation again because I can meet your most pressing need and never touch your deepest need and you will still find yourself, maybe it will look different, but you will find yourself stuck again, but not anymore because the son has come who has authority on earth to set you free. These words have authority on earth to set you free. Find the voice of God in his words that speak sonship. Number two, find the voice of God in these words that liberate you and your spirit. And finally, find the words of God all throughout his written word that speak loudly to the earth, I am who I say I am. The relationship is more important than the resource. Don't use God, love God. Some of our greatest invitations to discipleship with Jesus come when we are asked to wait. Now, what's the point of all this? The overarching point of this whole talk today is that sometimes focusing on our most pressing need prevents us from coming open, humble, low, with listening ears to hear what God sees as our truest need. You know, in closing, you ever gone to a mechanic and uh, you, you hear a certain sound and you assume that you know what is going on and you just swear up and down, it's the alternator. You just got to get in there. You just got to turn a little alternator thing out, put a new alternator in, just run like new. Just go fix that Fix alternator. The mechanic's getting in there going, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. I ain't going to pay no $800. It's just an alternator. You just get in there, just go put an all No, no, listen, listen, listen. I'm trying to tell you there's something deeper that's going on here. And if you don't go all the way back and fix this thing, then every part of the machine will begin to break down. He knows, and his word is an incredible, precise, calibrating tool of God to divide soul and spirit, to shed religious thinking off of us, to liberate us from the law, to inject us with the love of the Father, to speak sonship to us, to reveal his nature and touch those things that nothing else can touch in life. Come on, stand to your feet this morning. I'm excited. (laughs) That's right. Woo! In lieu of our altar ministry today, we are going to have a fire drill. (laughs) Come on, let me pray for you guys real quick. Father, we just declare that you are a good father. You're a trustworthy, dependable, faithful, loyal. You are true to your word. You're true to yourself. And Father, we just wanna say today Wherever we need to relearn our approach to the words of God. I'm just gonna begin with myself, Father, where I've just come and I've and I've prostituted your word, and I've just used it as a resource. Lord, where I've treated you functionally, not relationally. Where I've taken a pragmatic, utilitarian approach to Christianity, where I've taken a philosophical, dogmatic approach to this way of life. Lord, today I stop. And I'm asking you today to give me grace to go back to that benchmark in the road. Even if it was just a couple of degrees off and just recalibrate my life so I'm walking with you, Jesus. I heard a great picture this week that a a brother shared with me about walking through a dense forest on a path. And Jesus, on that path, you shot out. And Lord, every single one of us have a choice. Do we just follow the path that is known, that is safe, that is understood? God, help us to understand this is not about following the right path. It's about walking hand in hand with this person. Lord, help us to understand it's not about being married to our processes. It's about being married to this person. And God, I pray again for my friends and for myself that you would awaken our hearts to discover you and to discover your life and to discover your love and to discover your mind and the words that you have given to us and spoken to us. And I pray this, that as we read, that we would also hear. That as we read the Logos, we would hear the Rhema pray for a marriage of the Logos and the Rhema every time we humbly and expectantly approach your words. And God, that you would transform us. Give us ears to hear in Jesus' name. God bless you guys.